Well, good morning. Do me a favor. If you have something in your hands, could you set that down on your lap? If there's a chair next to you. I want you to get comfortable for a minute. And then do one more thing. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Trust me. You know, when we come into church a lot of times, we bring everything with us. All of our concerns and our issues and our to-dos. And we hang on to them tightly throughout the entire service. Today, for just a minute, I want you to let those go. I want you to take a breath, and then when you exhale, when you exhale, I want you to picture all those concerns, all those worries, drifting out and up into the air. And I want you also to take a deep breath in. And when you breathe in, I want you to invite God into that space you just created. Invite Jesus to come in, to fill you, to be with you forever. So do that a few times. Out with the concerns and breathe in Jesus. And as you do it, think about that verse. Be still and know that I am God. Just rest there for a moment. God, how good it is to be in your house today, to be with your people. And I pray right now, God, that we can set things aside. We can be fully present here in this moment with you, God, deeply inhaling your love for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 14 has an amazing story in it, a great story. Jesus had just finished feeding thousands of people, and now he's going to send the disciples off across the Sea of Galilee in a boat while he hangs behind for a little R&R. He's going to recoup. He's going to settle in for a while. He's going to rest. And then he decides to join them at 3 in the morning during a storm walking on the water. So the disciples make this figure out coming towards them, and they are terrified. And they cry out, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, I am here. Don't be afraid. Now, Peter, who must be speaking now loud enough because a storm is beginning to brew. And so he must be speaking over the voice of the storm, says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out to you walking on the water. And Jesus just says, come. Now, I can only imagine those first few moments for Peter all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And so he takes a step, this first step out of this boat that has by now got to be rocking back and forth a little bit. And he bravely takes that first step out. And I wonder what was going through his mind. Should I have asked to like fly to him instead of this whole walking on water thing? How is this going to work out for me? And he puts his foot down and he doesn't go anywhere. So he takes another 
And he's focusing on Jesus. He knows what his goal is now. I want to get to Jesus. I want to be closer to him. This is my destiny. Move to Jesus. And confidently, step by step by step, he's making his way towards him. Until, as the scripture says, he saw the wind and the waves. He saw the wind and the waves. J.B. Phillips' version actually describes it as the fury of the waves, and the message uses the phrase waves churning beneath his feet. Now, the Sea of Galilee was known for its squalls. These are sudden storms that would come in, and they would produce waves of up to seven feet. So now Peter, who was focused on Jesus, is beginning to lose focus. There's some chaos going on now. The wind has come in. It's caused the waves to come. He's rocking. He's rolling. He's spinning. He's beginning to lose his focus. And perhaps because of the size of these waves, maybe there's even a wave that came up right between him and Jesus. Now he can no longer see Jesus at all. All he's focused on is the chaos and the waves and the confusion right in front of him. And he begins to sink. This is a perfect metaphor for my life and maybe for yours as well. I've taken that first brave step to get out of a boat. I know what I want in life and I want to go to Jesus. I want my focus, my life, my daily steps, every one of them, to be taking me closer to being like Christ, to being in Christ. But life comes up. The wind, the waves, the chaos, everything starts spinning around in my life. And all of a sudden, the craziness and the busyness of my schedules and all my concerns, they get between me and God and I lose my focus and I begin to sink away. This guy named Edward Hallowell, he's an author, he wrote a book called Crazy Busy, overstretched, overbooked, and about to snap. He writes about how he knew he had crossed into the dark side from busy to crazy busy when he got mad at a rotary phone while staying at a vacation home. Remember those? He, unable to use his cell phone, he was driven nuts waiting for the dial to return to start. Then calming himself, he timed how long the dialing actually took. 11 seconds. What a fool I had become, he writes. I had become a man in a hurry, even when I had no need to hurry. According to Dr. Hallowell, there are many overlapping reasons why we fall into this trap of being overly busy. Here's a few that he listed. It's so easy with smartphones and other technology, a touch away. It's a kind of a high. You know, there's actually an adrenaline rush associated with busyness. It's a status symbol. We're afraid we'll be left out if we slow down. And the last one he listed is, we avoid dealing with life's really big issues, death, the future, terrorism, by running from task to task. He says we do not know how not to be busy. Well, I work at William Jessup University, and I work with uh, adolescent studies with youth ministry. And I read a lot of studies about teenagers. And one I read recently was saying that teenagers... said they had no other framework other than crazy busy. No other framework. Here's why they said they had that. It was modeled to them by their parents, by their teachers, and by their coaches. Everyone they knew was overscheduled, overbooked, 
and crazy busy. When asked them personally how they responded to this kind of being over busy, the most common statement was something along the lines of, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm busy. That's the way it is. It is what it is. And the reality is, God has given us a gift that allows us to stop the wind and the waves in our lives. To stop the fury and the churning, at least for a short while, so that we can regain our focus on Him. And it's called the Sabbath. It's called the Sabbath. Now you might recognize the the word or the idea of Sabbath from uh, the Ten Commandments found in Exodus. So as I'm opening to Exodus, if you grab your notes out, you can follow along. The scriptures will be on the screen as well as in there. And there's a few blanks you can fill in if you choose. So let's read about Sabbath from Exodus chapter 28 to 10. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners among you. You know, uh, the Ten Commandments, most of them are pretty short. They're a word or two, a, a, a small sentence, except for two. The one about not making any idols to God. And then this one about observing the Sabbath. It actually has the most room given in the commandments for a description. What to do, what not to do, how to accomplish this task of having a Sabbath. It's given the most time out of the Ten Commandments. It also tells us that it's not to be an ordinary day. It's to be a day that's set apart. It's to be different. There's something that has to happen that's going to be different about these. The thing that got to me as well when I was reading this is if you look at the list below, this is included in the Ten Commandments with things like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Well, it seems to me if God has given this idea of these Ten Commandments in the first place, and, and then if out of the Ten Commandments, the most written is about the Sabbath, and if it's included in a list of things like don't murder and don't steal and don't covet, then you know what? Maybe it's pretty important. Maybe God really wanted us to see this. And so maybe it's something that we should pay attention to in our lives. This fourth commandment emphasizes this idea of stopping, stopping our daily routine and being able to reflect on God. It's a positive command, basically what to do, then what more what not to do. And so it should be a delight. A Sabbath should not be a burden for us. It should be considered a delight for us. The rest of the commandment actually goes like this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So twice in this little section we're told to keep the Sabbath holy. Holy is a word that means set apart. It's to be different. Or as it said earlier in the verse that it was to be dedicated to the Lord your God. This is not your ordinary day. So we're to set it apart, make it holy, and dedicate it to God. We're given this rhythm of a work week. uh, Six ordinary days. Days where you get up, you go to work, you make a living. But that's to be followed by a different kind of a day. A day of rest 
and a day of dedication. Now, this should sound familiar to you from another part of Scripture. Because Sabbath did not start here in the Ten Commandments. It started in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested from all his work of creation. Interesting, we have the word uh, rested or he rested here. Uh, Another word that's used often is ceased. He ceased or he stopped working. God stopped creating. He stopped working. Now in the original Hebrew, if you take their little characters and you try and turn that into something that resembles an English language, what you're going to come up with are the words S-H-B-T-H. Sabbath. That's where we get our idea. That's where the word Sabbath comes from. So really what it says is God set out to create. And he created for six days he created. And then it says on the seventh day he Sabbathed. He stopped. He ceased. He rested from all that he was doing. So in six days God creates the cosmos. It climaxes with the creation of human beings. But the story doesn't stop there. The narrative goes just a little further. It tells us, no, 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 it's not over yet. There's one more important piece that we should read as part of this story. And it's the part where God stops. He blesses this day. He sets it aside as holy. Both Genesis and Exodus and the parts we read use words like rest or refreshed. Rest or refreshed. And it refers to people resting. Actually, they're animals resting and to God himself resting. Now, I love these words. They often carry the implication of taking up a position of safety, security, or stability. So when you rest, you're getting back to a stable position. You're increasing the stability in your life. It can refer to settling down or settling in. I I picture grabbing a good book, pulling up your big comfy chair right next to the fire, you flop back into that chair and you settle in to read for a while. That's what the word rest means, to settle in, to settle in. It can even be uh, used as a place of equilibrium or a place of balance. So this seventh day of creation is marked by God ceasing the work of previous six days And then he settles in to the stability of all he had created. Once again, bringing balance to life. Perhaps even experiencing refreshment as he did so. When we observe a Sabbath, we imitate God. Think about that. When we choose to observe a real Sabbath, we are choosing to imitate God. We take time to realize God is the ruler of all time. Psalm 74, 16 reminds us. It says, both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight. You made the sun. He is the creator, the sustainer of all things. God stopped working not because he was tired. He is all powerful. He did not need to stop working. He stopped working as a demonstration for us. He stopped working as a pattern to follow. There is a rhythm that we are to learn in life. And God demonstrated that for us. 
Later in the book of uh, Exodus, the Sabbath is actually referred to as the Lord's gift to you. The Lord's gift to you. Now think about a couple weeks ago, and you're at a Christmas gathering, and someone hands you a gift, a beautiful gift. You already know what's in the package. You know how special it is. It's it's great. And you look at them, and you say, no thanks. Really not interested in this particular thing. Thank you. God's offering us that gift. He's placed it before us. Maybe we haven't taken the Sabbath seriously. I mean, even on a Sunday, on a Saturday, on a weekend, life has to go on. We have work to do, places to go, and people to see. This ignoring of Sabbath, though, is not a new problem. It's not a new problem. In Nehemiah's day, it was already going on. Nehemiah was troubled. He was bothered. He knew his people understood exactly what the Sabbath is and should be for them. But people were loading up their animals outside the city. They were bringing their things into the city center where they would set up all their shops and all their stores and the haggling would begin. And they would buy and they would sell and they would spend their day in an ordinary way. It was not a day that was holy. It was not a day that was set apart. It was not dedicated to the Lord. It was a regular day. And Nehemiah is bothered by that. So it says this in Nehemiah 13, 17. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon you, upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. I looked up the word desecrated, to treat shamefully with great disrespect, to treat irreverently. We did not invent being busy. We did not invent ignoring the Sabbath. Nehemiah says it was your ancestors. He's already looking a generation back, saying, look, they did the same thing. But he says as a result of ignoring this beautiful command, this gift as God has given us, there's trouble, there's wrath, there are problems when we ignore what God has asked us to do. So how about us? Have we treated the Sabbath with disrespect? How can we? How can we receive this gift from God? How do we begin to get into a rhythm of work, 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 rest, stop, dedicate to God? How should we treat the Sabbath as holy? A friend uh, gave me a book to read. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And to be fair to the author, I want to give you some of the points from his book. It's points that have so far begun to change my life in a way that I haven't experienced for a long time. And so I want to share with you four points that he describes as four principles of biblical Sabbath. Four principles of biblical Sabbath. The first principle is this. Stop. Stop. The Sabbath is a day of stopping. This alone may be the hardest part for some of us. There's always one more project to do, one more paper to write, more chores to complete. Our inboxes will still be full and our phones will be buzzing with text messages. Will we stop? Will we stop? I hate stopping. I, I just hate it. I, it drives me crazy if I think I have nothing to do. I, I know. I appreciate some of you who know how to stop. 
I appreciate those people that can just sit around and do nothing. But I hate it. And so I came to discover that although it doesn't seem to be in my character to stop or take time out, it is a command from God that I need to begin to follow. We think, maybe I'll stop when I earn my first degree, have enough in my bank account, when the kids are growing, when I've purchased my first home, when I retire, and the list goes on and on and on. This first principle, although the word is stop, it is really about trust. It is really about can I trust God to take care of my cares, to take care of my concerns, if I obey him by stopping for a while? Is God big enough to take care of the world for one day until I get back to running it myself on Monday? Can God do that? It's about our trusting him. Will we trust him and stop? The second principle of biblical Sabbath is rest. In creation, God worked, so we get to work. Thank you, God. He designed that for us. It's good to work. But then God rested, and we too should rest. Rest is very different for different people, though. The distinguishing factor for me as I began to study this is it has to be different from work. Rest should be different from work. So what would you put into a category of, of work? Well, I made up a couple lists. I want to share my lists with you. And, and, and listen to the first list. Ready? Uh, paying bills, to-do lists, multitasking, worry, decision-making, competitiveness, errands, chores, technology, and machines. Wow. Now, consider... Consider replacing those words with this list, just, just for one day, replacing it with these. Napping. I could probably stop right there and let you go, but I'll continue on. Leisurely walks. Watching a good movie. Reading a novel. Going out for a meal. Spending time reflecting about the week disconnecting from technology, being with friends and family, and enjoying the presence of God. Imagine if we could let go of that first list and embrace that second list. We need to rest. The third principle of a biblical Sabbath is the word delight. The word delight. God, after finishing his work of creation, he proclaimed, it was very good. The Hebrew phrase is a beautiful phrase. It actually communicates a bunch of stuff in there. Things like, it's a sense of joy, of completion, of wonder, and even of play. I, I was trying to picture God in that moment. And, and with those words I just used. So, so I picture something like this. Six days, done. Seventh day. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. God's like, it was it was." Good. And he, he just has this playful wonder about all that had happened. And he thinks it's great. We need to delight in things. How radical would a Sabbath day look when we take time to rejoice over all that God has made? We slow down to visit with people and be with our friends, and we spend some time playing. 
I came up with what I'm calling the five senses Sabbath. It'll be an easy part of your fill-in if you know the five senses. So here we go. The first one is seeing. Seeing what is around me. Really taking time on this leisurely walk that you're on to stop and to look at the beauty of creation. This is not a hard thing to do where we live. Everywhere you go, it is astoundingly, magnificently gorgeous around here. Let's take some time to see that beauty. The second one, hearing. Not only the sounds of nature, but the voices of people around. And if you listen carefully enough, perhaps you'll hear the voice of God. We need to be intentional about our conversations and intentional when we listen to people who are speaking, really hearing what they're saying. The third one, tasting. Tasting what we choose to eat. How often we, do we gulp down a meal? We don't even think about the blessing that it is for us to even have food, and we don't even really taste it. It's done. We're already thinking about what's next. We need to taste. I, I just love my food and and it was fun on a day to think about that how about the fourth one smelling smelling the aromas of life i love driving with the windows down i just i just love it i'll put on a jacket if i need to i want the windows down i love driving and being able to smell the pine trees and the bear clover and the manzanita as it wafts through our car it's great to smell those things you know, I remember as a kid growing up, Sundays were pot roast and a potato day. You guys remember that? Big black pan that was speckled, one of those big, you know, okay, I'm getting some nods. And I remember that every Sunday was pot roast and potatoes. Now, I don't think I remember because I remember the taste. I remember, because as a kid, I remember the smell. From the time you get up in the morning and throughout the day, that smell of food cooking in the kitchen and you knew what was coming. You'd spend your day salivating, thinking about that. We need to take time to smell the aromas of life. And then the fifth one is touching. Touching a pine cone. I I know, sounds kind of silly, but when's the last time you actually just picked up a pine cone and, and thought about it and touched it and felt what God had created? The texture of a football, holding the hand of a friend. And we do all this, these five senses, we use them all in our Sabbath. As Peter Scazzaro says in his book, a beautiful line, he says, we may feast with our senses on the miraculousness of life. We may feast with our senses on the miraculousness of life. So, so far, the principles of biblical Sabbath have been stop, rest, and delight. The fourth one is the word contemplate. Contemplate, the final principle of a biblical Sabbath. We need to keep this as the central focus of a Sabbath. Really, the Sabbath isn't just about you getting rested. It's just not about you not working. It is about God. It is about taking time to reflect on His goodness and His grace in your life. We do this when we come together on Sundays. Being together as a family of God has always been a part of our Christian history. It's part of what makes a Sabbath a Sabbath, to be together, to worship, to sing, to hear from the Word of God. But we need to continue on throughout the day in our own part of our life, spending time thinking about God's peace in it, thinking back on life. For some, maybe just the last week is as far as you can think back. 
seeing God's part in it, thinking about your future. When we realize what God's part is in our life, it puts our lives back in perspective. It gives our lives more balance as we understand that we are not the ones in control, that God is, and we contemplate his goodness in our lives. Uh, Interesting, our attempts at Sabbath, as good, as bad, as best we can make them, are a hint at what's going to happen in eternity. In eternity, it will be a Sabbath meal forever. And so when we take the time to rest and to stop and to contemplate God, we are getting just a little glimpse, just a little piece of what our eternity will be like. What a beautiful picture that is. Listen to this great way that Peter Scazzaro describes the Sabbath. He says this, Sabbath is like receiving the gift of a heavy snow day each week. Those that live up the hill, you know what I'm talking about. Snow day. Not this year, but normally. Stores are closed. Roads are impassable. Suddenly, you have the gift of a day to do whatever you want. You don't have any obligations, no pressures, no responsibilities. You have permission to play, to be with friends, take a nap, or read a good book. Few of us would give ourselves a no-obligation day very often. But God gives you one every seventh day. Think about it. He gives you, over seven weeks, 52 days in all of snow days every year. Isn't that great? Well, I... uh, it's always a pleasure for me to be able to speak here. And, and so when I'm in the lineup, I'm always wondering what, what's coming down the pike. What, what, you know, what, what, what are they going to give me to speak on? And so uh, I got this title about five weeks ago. They're, they're plenty organized around here. And, and I got the, uh, the title of Stop, and we knew it would be about Sabbath. And so I, I did what a good speaker would do. I, I'm a professor. I did what a good professor would do. I dove into my studies, and I grabbed the commentaries off the shelf, and I exegeted the passages, and I started framing it and putting it together and piecing it together. And, and then I started just rereading it. And, and I went, well, I, I, I forgot something. I've never had a Sabbath. I've never taken the time to slow down and think about any of this stuff. I just wrote it out so I could get up here and tell it to you. And I knew that that had to change. So on our beautiful first day of the year, January 1st, and again on the 8th, and then again yesterday, I had my first biblical Sabbaths. And I know it sounds silly, but, but I, ha- I needed a plan. It, so I did my planning on, on Saturday, but, but I needed a plan. I needed a plan on what to do or what not to do if I was going to dedicate a day to the Lord. So I made sure I actually went to bed uh, early the night before. I wanted to wake up on my Sabbath refreshed. And I got up earlier than normal. And I made sure that I grabbed the scripture before church. And I opened to the Psalms and I just, I just sat with God. And I let the words pour into my spirit from the Psalms. And then I came to church and was blessed to be a part of this congregation. In the afternoon, I went for a long, leisurely walk. And later on in the day, I went back and just sat by the lake and read. I just did this. I allowed myself to try and rest. I watched some football, but it was okay because it was Tim Tebow and the Broncos. 
Think that's all right? I purposefully took deep breaths. I ate slowly and I appreciated the people around me. I allowed myself an opportunity to relax. The key phrase that kept coming to my, li- my mind over and over and over again was this. Let go. Let go. I have discovered I am consumed with thoughts of other people. How are my relationships? How are my kids? How are my relationships with my wife? What about the students at the college? How about people that I know are hurting? And my mind will not let go of those. And I just keep rolling it over and over and over. And I said, I let go of those, God. They are your people. They'll be there on Monday. I can pick up. I allowed myself to pick up the concerns on Monday, but not for the Sabbath. I let them go. I let, my, I let work go. I would not only not allow myself to do any work, I wouldn't even let myself think about the work that I would need to do during the week. I didn't start my mental to-do list. I let it go. I let go of any thought, any thought that came into my mind that was going to distract me from having a biblical Sabbath, a day of rest, a day dedicated to the Lord. I let them go. It was difficult. It was difficult. But I want you to see a picture. That's me. That's me. And you know what I'm doing? I've stopped on my leisurely walk. And I'm resting. And I'm delighting in the beauty of what God has given around me. And I sat there and contemplated God's part in my life. And I rested. When I was sitting there, I purposefully exhaled the concerns. And I would breathe in Jesus And I dozed off for a while. And it felt so frivolous. (laughs) I knew I could be doing something better with my time. But I continued. And I did it the next week. I ended up in the same location. And I sat longer. And I thought longer. And I learned, beginning to learn how to rest doesn't mean we ignore God the rest of the week. We still, uh, uh, as believers, as followers, we want to spend time with God every day. Every day is dedicated to Him. And so we want to spend some time reading and worshiping and doing those things. Kind of like consider them mini Sabbaths. Every day we have some mini Sabbath moments of our day. But it's this one day that is set aside that is different. It's not ordinary. That is the day dedicated to resting and dedicated to God. So I'm learning. I'm growing in my understanding after just a few weeks of how I personally can have a true Sabbath. Here's some things I've learned. I like cooking. So if I've spent time with God, I can cook. It's relaxing. It's okay. I can walk, but I can't wear a watch because a leisurely walk turns into a jog, which turns into a timed run, and I've defeated the point of being restful. Watching a movie is okay. But I want to be sensitive to the theme of the movie that I'm watching. So on my Sabbath days, if I'm going to watch, I'm going to look for a movie that's inspirational, a movie that's uplifting. The computer stays off for the day. It'll be there when I get to it on Monday. Now, your Sabbath discoveries will look different from mine. I look forward to continuing this. I want to see where God takes me in the, in the months and years to come of trying to understand what it really means. I'm trying to understand that God has given me this command, this gift to be able to do that. And it is to prepare me for the week. So I will be ready to encounter whatever it is that's going to come up. But I need to do this. 
And I hope that some of you will decide to join me on this quest to understand what a Sabbath might be for you. Well, I opened the story with Peter attempting to walk on water. And when he was focused on God, everything went pretty well. When, when the focus was on the chaos and the waves around him, uh, it didn't go so well. So let me read uh, again from Matthew 14. But when he, and this is Peter, when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Are you ready for a Sabbath? Are you desperate enough to cry out, Lord, save me. Save me from the busyness, from the technology. Save me from my own to-do list, Lord. Save me. Will you have faith that God is God? He can handle the world for a day without you? Will you develop, begin to develop this rhythm of working and stopping to rest? Will you trust him? I pray that, I pray that we all will. Well, as you've considered for a moment what, what I've shared with you, I want you to think about it for a moment. And during that time, listen to this beautiful song called Be Still and Know.
Rest your head upon his breast Listen to the rhythm of his unfailing heart of love Beating for his little ones Come each of us to God, thank you for uh, allowing us to be here today. Lord, I, I couldn't possibly explain in 30 minutes what, what I've been looking at for five weeks. Lord, so many different pieces and parts of this. I pray that some in here today would be challenged to do their own work, do their own study, find out for themselves what a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to you would mean. Lord, help us to be able to stop, rest, discover your beauty, contemplate your love, to let go, to exhale those concerns for at least a moment and to inhale new life in you. God, help us to do this each day, but set aside one in honor of you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.